Welcome to the Tax Girl Podcast, your home for tax news, tax info, and tax policy. In each episode, I'll share conversations about taxes, money, and the choices we make. I'm your host, Kelly phillips Herb, Tax Girl. I'm a tax attorney, and I work with taxpayers and tax practitioners like you every day. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get started. If you're a regular listener, you know a few things about me already. You know I am fascinated by all things tax. You know I'm an attorney, and you know I'm a mom. I've spoken before about how important it has been to me for my kids to see me working, and more important, see that I love what I do. I've always said that being a working parent has made me a better tax attorney. It's helped me to learn the importance of planning and being well-organized. I've honed my multitasking skills. I've become more efficient. And goodness knows, I've learned a lot about patience and empathy. That's why I perked up when I heard about All Before Dinner, a networking group for working moms. I was particularly interested when I heard the founders, attorneys and mothers, Lisa Geralds and Mara Geronimus, describe the group in terms of changing the narrative around motherhood, which is often seen as a liability rather than an asset. The group focuses on business development and personal and professional growth for working moms across a variety of industries. That's important because the pandemic, being a working parent and specifically a working mother, has taken its toll. Almost 1.5 million fewer moms of school-aged children were actively working in March 2021 compared to February 2020. To talk about this, I've asked Lisa and Mara to the show. Lisa is a commercial litigator at Kluger, Kaplan, Silverman, Katzen, and Levine, where she focuses on complex business disputes and litigation strategy. In her litigation practice, Lisa takes a holistic approach, analyzing not just the litigation matter itself, but also how it fits into the client's long-term business goals. As a community leader, Lisa is the president of Hillel at Florida International University, and serves on the boards of the Greater Miami Jewish Federation and NCJW Miami. Mara is the founder of Geronimus Law and a corporate attorney. She serves as outside in-house counsel for companies and individuals, assisting with all aspects of daily business operations. Her practice is focused on general corporate advice, commercial contracts, and business transactions. Originally from New York, Mara lives in Miami Beach with her husband and three children. She is active in her community and serves on the board of Lehrman Community Day School and the Miami Beach JCC, and she supports the Women's Philanthropy Division of the Greater Miami Jewish Federation. Thank you both so much for being here today. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. So I am particularly interested in this, as I mentioned in the intro, because I am a working mom. And I also have been speaking with a lot of working mothers during the pandemic, and I have definitely noticed this trend of mothers leaving the profession. And while they're saying that a lot of the folks who are leaving right now are coming back, that doesn't seem to be the trend for women. So I was wondering, have you noticed the trends and what would you attribute it to? This is Lisa. Hi. So one of the things that that we've talked about a lot within All Before Dinner is, you know, we launched in November 2019, right? So we launched right before the pandemic. And for us, we have really taken a concerted effort in trying to stop that within our members and really trying to provide the support that would allow the moms to stay in the workforce. 
personally at my firm, we we've lost at least one female attorney. She had a baby just before the pandemic and really just didn't see how she could continue to continue that. Um, there was a statistic recently in an American Bar Association article that said something that something to the effect of that 90% of mothers said that they were tired. And I think that that's really telling. I'm surprised that number is not higher, to be honest. <laughs> right. And I thought the same statistics that only 30% of dads said that they were tired. Oh, wow. And I mean, I think the truth of the matter is, depending on what area of your practice is, it's just a lot of moving parts. I mean, as a litigator, it's a high conflict part of the law. Like I mean, part of my day is just arguing with people and trying to make my point be the loudest voice in the room. And then I get to the carpool line and I'm arguing again, I'm arguing about something different, <laughs> but that the arguing is still there and that can be very, very draining on women. So I think I understand, not anyone. And I can understand that at some point, just something's got to give, right? Mm-hmm. It's interesting, Kelly, what I'm seeing, you know, I'm, I have worked at firms in the past and I'm a solo practitioner now. And what I see among a lot of the women who are solo practitioner attorneys is people are not wanting to return back to their offices now after having been home for so long right? and being without consistent childcare, which is really, you know, what most of us working moms need to make it through our day, whether it be daycare, school, a babysitter, some form of childcare. And with that not as available anymore, I'm finding that women, you know, may want to keep working or may continue to want to work remotely from the home. But of the people going back to offices as offices are reopening, I'm finding that the women are not going, they're not able to, because just like me today, they have a kid home and can't leave. I find it really interesting when we talk about childcare, because I think sometimes the picture that people have in their heads is that it's just for babies or just for toddlers. And one of the things that I've learned as my kids get older is that you, you know, you actually get busier when your kids get older and there are more responsibilities and it gets more difficult to plan. And in particular, in our district, we're having a problem with school bus drivers. So things like activity buses and extras that we might have been able to count on in a pre-pandemic world might not be available. And, you know, we might not feel comfortable putting kids on buses as much. I know during the pandemic, my daughter plays field hockey. And when we would have an away game, my husband or I would have to take off work to drive her because she's a goalie. So she has a lot of stuff anyway. And I didn't want her always sitting on a bus with a lot of kids, especially at the height of the pandemic. We were trying to protect her as much as possible. So it's it's very interesting because I think that, again, sometimes people think of childcare as being really one-dimensional, like, you know, babysitting. But I think childcare and school generally, as we come out of the pandemic, is still really unpredictable. And it's really difficult, I think, for a lot of parents, especially working parents. And I'm actually fascinated, uh, Lisa, that you're a litigator, because one of the things that I find most difficult in my practice was court dates. I don't go to court a lot um, as a tax attorney, but I do some orphans court, some tax court, your time is not your own. How do you actually manage when somebody else is telling you when you have to be somewhere? So it's so funny to hear you say that about the age of the children, because I took a leave of absence when my oldest child was in third grade. And I didn't take any act really other than my maternity leave when, when my kids were little, because they were home, they were home, they were in daycare, wherever they were, there was a warm body, they were happy, I was happy, it was fine. I didn't feel, but the, the demands on my time as my kids got older I 100% agree with you. They can't drive. They have to go to 
this sporting event, that sporting event, when they were babies, their, their extracurriculars were very limited. <laughs> exactly. And so look, I mean, the way it works, I'm very fortunate in that I'm at a firm that allows me the flexibility to have a part-time schedule, part-time meaning, and part-time in litigation is sort of a funny thing because I just have a reduced caseload, right? Mm-hmm. So, and when it's busy, I don't really have control over that. So when it comes to court, for the most part, I just, you know, my husband, my husband has been home through most of the pandemic. He actually works in finance and was one of the few firms that didn't go back until November of this year. And it's just a lot of planning. I also very fortunate to live 15 minutes away from my parents. We actually came back to Miami so that we could be closer to them and build that support system because the truth matters, I couldn't do it otherwise, especially I began my career in family law and in family law, you could have a, a hearing on a drop of a dime in litigation. Not so much. Like we're kind of planners. We get it on the calendar a couple of weeks in advance. Mm-hmm. And then I would also add for better or worse, I think due to COVID zoom court, I think is the way of the future. I used to drive 45 minutes to sit in a courtroom for another 45 minutes to be called for a seven minute motion calendar. Right. Every judge is doing that on zoom now. So conceivably, I can be in Miami, Broward, and Palm Beach County in one day and <laughs> never leave my desk. Right, right. So I hope, I really hope that's here to stay post-pandemic because to your point, it really, the scheduling, it becomes much, much easier. And even the travel. I had a client who had a deposition in California in the olden times, pre-COVID, I, my, my opposing counsel and I would have been on planes flying out to LA, getting a hotel. I have to coordinate a whole bunch of pickups and carpools that I'd have to schedule. And now I sat at my computer and I defended his depot and it was lovely. And my counterpart was also in his office on Miami Beach. But in your point about support and your parents, I actually love that you brought that up because if somebody, anyone who listens to me or follows me on social media know that one of my pet peeves is (laughs) when uh, parents talk about how they do things and they never allude to the fact that maybe they have a babysitter or childcare, because I think it's really important especially for younger parents, that we set an example and make them under, not make them, but help them to understand that it's okay to ask for help. Because I do think that, especially as lawyers, we get kind of trapped into this idea that we can do it all ourselves. So I love that you said that your parents live nearby or that you moved to be closer to them, because I do think that support systems are so important. And I'm assuming that's why you guys created the networking group to be able to offer some kind of support to women or professionals in in the same scenarios. Absolutely. A hundred percent is is why All Before Dinner was born. And I think that's why it's become so much so popular among our members, especially during the pandemic now, is because that support that working moms needed, regardless of what industry you work in, I think, and regardless of whether you work where you work, how you work, what you do, um, working moms needed each other and needed support and the pandemic just pushed that even further as it literally pushed everyone home and, and more isolated. And so I think I think women who who worked separately, again, I can speak to this, you know, from my own experience as a solo practitioner, needing that support on so many different levels, um, on the professional level and just the personal, you know, how do you do this level? And there's a lot of smart working moms out there. And I had to figure someone's figured it out, whatever it is that I'm grappling <laughs> with at the time. Someone's probably faced it figured out a good solution or figured out what doesn't work and made a bunch of mistakes. And so the benefit of this group is to have this community now, women, to share those experiences and to have people to turn to, to say, oh my gosh, this is impossible. I've got three kids in three different places and I'm hosting a Zoom meeting from my car. And how do I do this? 
And there's a woman in the room who's actually going to tell me how to do it because she's done it. And I think that's what's been so comforting for so many women about all before dinner is just connecting our experiences. And you mentioned that you had started this just before the pandemic, I guess, maybe what, about four to six months before? I mean, obviously, you, you don't start something and not expect it to grow. But did you believe that there was maybe an uptick because of the pandemic? Because I can say, I know that that Maris talked about being a solo. So I worked with my husband for years and then we, um, we grew a little bit and then we decided we didn't love growing as much as we did. So I actually like working in a small office, but it is sometimes, I think, lonely. And I think it could be worse in the pandemic because even though we're on Zoom, we're maybe on Zoom with you know, opposing counsel or clients more than, you know, water cooler conversation with colleagues. Do you see like, I mean, what kinds of people are coming to the networking group? Is it folks who are, I mean, obviously people looking for advice, but is it solos? Is it folks who are just hearing about it? Is it an uptick because of the pandemic? Is it all of those things? Like, what do you attribute the success of it to? So it's interesting. So we started in November 2019, mostly because we felt like the traditional networking models didn't really work for us. You know, there's a lot of models that are really focused on business development. Mara and I have a lot of business that we refer. But the truth of the matter was that that we didn't have time for the models that had a two-hour breakfast, a two-hour lunch, happy hour. Like none of those things worked for us because we were just trying to get our work done and get home, but also we wanted the network. So when we originally launched, we had this, we, we launched with all this online programming, but we didn't convert to a membership model, or let me say, we weren't going to convert to a membership model until the end of the first quarter of 2020. So as you now know, that did not happen mm-hmm. because there was no, the first quarter of 2020, we were all in our homes. So what we did was we just kept programming. We just kept trying to provide opportunities for people to get together on Zoom and make these connections. And Kelly, it exploded in terms of just interest. We never canceled. We had a, we had put together a 2020 calendar. You know, we're moms. We're very organized. So when we sure. launched in 2019, we were like, here's 2020. Here's all the dates. Put them in <laughs> right. We didn't skip a date and we actually added programming because more. people really wanted, and we have lawyers at big law firms, like big name law firms, and we have solos and we have lots of non-lawyers. We have event planner, jeweler, like creative types, professional services. And I think everyone really, really wanted the idea of, networking with people who had been through what they had been through or who who could provide them with support about a particular issue, but then also be committed to referring business to other working women. Mm-hmm. Um, our joke is, we always joke, our first goal is to send it to a working mom, then to a working woman, and at a last resort, someone's husband. Like, that's, always, <laughs> that's the joke that we always make. But really saying, like, look, you have, you, you have to generate business. Networking takes so much time. And I think part of the reason why women really struggle with it is because we're doing so many other things that we don't have time to be rainmakers or whatever the equivalent of a rainmaker is in in your profession, because we're doing all these other things. And this was a way to reframe it for us and say, all the business that I have to refer is going to go to a working woman because we are so smart and so qualified. And there's just, we're not at top of mind because we're usually trying to get our work done and get to the carpool line. Exactly. Right, right. (laughs) It's very interesting to me because, as I mentioned, my husband is also an attorney, and he was definitely on a lot more boards. He did attend a lot more happy hours. You know, he was out there shaking a lot more hands. And I think that was, and he was a very hands-on father, but I do think that it's still a lot of the the parenting still traditionally falls to moms, whether we like to think about it that way or not. I mean, I think it just, 
you know, I think it's changing for sure. But even at school, like they will call my cell phone. They have both our cell phones. They will call my cell phone every time before they call my husband's. And it is interesting. I've been called. I've been in, you talked about travel. I've been in Chicago in the hotel and been called. And I'm like, literally, my husband is 20 minutes away from the school. Like, you can call him. You don't have to call me every time. I do think that there's a lot that falls to women. And I do think that there are often are more opportunities for men just because of the, the time, as you mentioned. And, and also, I think that they tend to be at the office a little more, especially right now. I've seen a lot more men going back to the office than women. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I had a particularly challenging situation, I mean, in general, but for sure during the pandemic. So my husband is a doctor and works in a hospital. Mm -hmm. That his work is on an emergency basis. So his schedule is, I would say, neither neither regular nor nor flexible. <laughs> and so by default, the school phone calls, the emails, the sick day pickups, um, a lot of that falls to me because most of the time, you know, he's elbow deep in a surgery. Right. And so because of that, I've become sort of the default parent for those for those communications. I will say he's super involved and wants to do as much as he can within those constraints. And so I've really taken it upon myself to push him on that when possible. So the days when he is off, sort of directing those, those school phone calls and emails to him and letting him do a school drop-off and a school pickup so that he can participate um, in some of that childcare that he's just literally not available for during the day. Yeah, I can imagine that would be, again, it kind of goes back to the litigator thing too, when your schedule is not your own, right? It's hard. Right. And I have noticed that with both of my husband and I being at home during the pandemic, it did make it a lot easier to do things like, um, I was joking, the listeners don't know, but I was joking right before the call that my daughter had called and asked to be picked up from school. And uh, I had messaged her, make sure you tell your dad. When, when to pick you up, which she did not do, but I had told her to do it because I was going to be busy. And I do find that that both of us being home makes it a lot more flexible right now. We'll see how that changes in a year or so. But for now, I do think for a lot of working parents, it's been nice to have both parents home for that reason. Absolutely. And Amazing. I hope it sticks. I mean, I hope that women, I hope we all don't forget that when the pandemic is over. I hope that when school calls, you know, we'll we'll still have the ability to say, sorry, I'm unavailable. Please call my husband right. and keep showing our kids and showing the schools and people um, that there are, you know, at least in the circumstance where, where it's true, there are two people raising this child. Right, exactly. You go to the second person. It's interesting that, you know, we talk about the litigation. I actually started my career in litigation, securities litigation. And one of the reasons I left was exactly that. I mean, we got to the point where I have three young children and my husband's job is completely inflexible and time demanding. And we, you know, we just got to the point where we said, this is, this is not going to keep working like this. And I love to work. I love what I do. I love to be a lawyer. And that was a big part of the reason why I transitioned from litigation to transactional work for exactly that reason. You know, someone had to be available when the school called. I will say that's one of the great things about tax. Besides the fact that I just find it extraordinarily interesting, but one of the nicer things this last year, notwithstanding, because this last year was insane, but one of the nicer things about tax is that it's cyclical. You know, so I did, I started out doing estate planning and you knew that that meant December was busy because everybody always did their estate planning in December mm -hmm. after, you know, they've either had a good or bad Thanksgiving um, and they want to <laughs> update and make some changes. But that was something you could count on. And then um, when I worked in tax controversy, I knew that summer 
was what we called correspondence season because that was after everybody had done their returns and IRS was sending out notices. And so that's when I was busy because folks were getting mail. And that was very predictable and it was nice. And, and it was something that made it, you know, not always easy because you believe it or not, there are tax emergencies. They're not as, uh, <laughs> as scary as other emergencies necessarily, because usually we have at least 10 days, but, you know, it made it more predictable. And I do think that especially there are professions, medical, you, you've mentioned a medical profession, um, I think legal this year, I would definitely put accountants on this list where there was a, a point at which you could predict your schedule and then, the, then there's a time when you can't. And it's nice, I think, to be able to talk to other people who are in that position, which is why I think the idea of networking, especially among working parents, is so lovely because I think sometimes you do feel very overwhelmed and you do feel very alone. Like you feel like you, you know, there are times when at least I know that I think I just, I have to get it together. Like, why can't I do this? I've done this before. Why can't I do this? And it's nice when you hear somebody else say, you know what? This was an insanely bad year. It's just, it makes you, it makes you feel not so alone. And I think it's interesting also as people are going back to work to see at what companies are, are doing from a policy perspective. And my husband works at a small financial services firm and he works in operations. So he's been really instrumental now in creating the policies that are the post-COVID policies. Mm-hmm. And you know that I am on, I'm behind him over his shoulder saying like, <laughs> look, you're, you're creating these policies. They're, they're, you're, you're, you're the first draft at a minimum, you know, and, and, and he, and really trying to push firms to understand that, like, that the child can't raise him or herself. And so if both parents are working, the default and from the employer perspective needs to be that whoever, that, that any parent can, can watch the child. And I know we were, Mary and I were just talking about this. There's a book that we were reading. Um, and in it, there was a woman who was discussing her promotion and she was taking the, the man who was promoting her. She, he had had her job before, before she got it. And he said, you know, we've never had a parent in this position before. And she said, but you have two children. And that keeps sticking with wow. me because, right, exactly. <laughs> wow. Exactly. Because the, the default to mom, like sometimes I'm not the best person for that. And I have to, like in my house, I have no patience. And if it's something that's like, particularly when the kids were little, where it was like really like these small projects, like I wasn't the right parent to do that work. There's certain types of homework where today I'm not the right parent to help. And just because I am a woman does not mean that I'm better equipped to do that. And so what I find that's been really nice and I hope that other, and I've heard from some of my friends at big law firms that it's starting there too, which is where it has to start because the smaller companies don't always have the resources to be as accommodating is to, mm-hmm. is to acknowledge that everyone, that the child is raised by the parents, not by the mother. Once upon a time, I guess there was a life where essentially there was a whole life and 50% of it, the earning was being done by the man and the other 50%, the home part was being done by the woman. But that doesn't, the whole is still the same if both parents are in the office. You just have to figure out how to make that work. And so to see the companies really starting to shape policies that take that into account, I really think is something that came out of COVID that I really, really hope sticks because that's the only hope in my mind that women are feel like are going to have to be able to continue to work because like Mara's got a kid home in quarantine today who, you know, who, because they had an issue in her class. And so she's home, like someone, she, she can't watch herself. <laughs> so the best laid plans, you can do all the planning and the scheduling in the world, but there has to be an understanding from the part of the employer that I may love my job and like what I do and be good at it and move the ball forward. But like, if someone's sick, I got to go to school. 
Right. It is interesting when you talk about like big firms and and how people react. Um, I've told the story on the podcast before, so so people might recognize it. But I think so much of it we've been conditioned to believe is negative, and we tend to anticipate that people are going to react negatively. And the the story that I always think of is when um, I was when my oldest child was still a baby. I was supposed to go to a tax supper club, which was a, a meeting in Philadelphia amongst, and it's as geeky as it sounds. It really is like <laughs> it's an invitation only tax group where you sit around at lunch and talk about once a month and talk about tax items. And it was really important to me to go. I was one of just a handful of women. And um, my husband got called out to uh, a client site and could not watch Kate. And I didn't know what to do. So I took her with me. And I sat there the whole time terrified that somebody was going to say something. And it was at one of the bigger firms in Philadelphia. And the managing partner of that firm was a tax attorney. And he said at the beginning, he said, Kelly, I see you have your baby with you. And I said, yes. And he said, I'd like to see you after. And my head immediately went to, I'm going to get lectured about not bringing a baby to this event, but I had no choice. And so I was, you know, making all the excuses in my head and it was going to be terrible. And afterwards brought Kate over and I had my whole story like, you know, oh, we had a plan and it fell apart and I'm so sorry. And, you know, the whole bit. And uh, he just wanted to be introduced to the baby. He was um, doing the whole like playing with her thing. And I was sitting the whole time like literally afraid because I do think that we sometimes anticipate that there's negativity associated with motherhood and working too, when it's not always the case. I mean, I know it can be, especially in some professions, but I remember that moment like with such clarity because I I remember she was, I remember willing her not to cry. She was a really quiet baby during the day. I was like willing her not to cry. She was very happy. She did not sleep, but she was very happy to sit there and look around and play with the things on her little carrier. But I really was terrified that this partner was going to give me this lecture about how we don't do that. And it was as if it was nothing to him. And I I just remember being being struck by that early on, because it also did make me think about parenting in a different way. Because I do think, again, that because of what we're conditioned to, we we often assume the worst. I love hearing that story, because I think that it's an understanding that you can be a really good lawyer. And the fact that you happen to have birthed a child is not impacted by that. But also you have someone has to take care of the child because children don't raise themselves. And we don't have universal pre-K. We don't have any, we don't have any, there's no systems that would allow us to leave the kid somewhere else. And so it's nice to hear that there's, that there are people who can see that having a child's is I think you said at the beginning, we always say it is an asset and not a liability because, and I, you know, when I first started, when I had my first child, I, I went out on my leave and I, I had like a very crazy schedule. I was trying to have her in daycare and I would leave to go pick her up. And I was coming in very early in the morning. And I, I remember one of my partners now, he said to me, he said, you know, it took me a while to get used to the fact that I come by your office at four o'clock and you're not sitting at your desk. He's like, but I send you an email and you reply faster than the five guys who are sitting at their desk. And he's like, so I prefer to work with you because I know that you're going to get your work done. And it was like, this is the partner who had his children later. And then subsequently, I, he even has come even more. He's like, wow, that was crazy that you did that because now he, he gets it. But, but I think being able to understand that women are multitasking skills. And I'm, I'm careful there because I have to say, especially in COVID, I've tried not to multitask 
because I don't, it's different from having a lot of balls in the air. That's not, that's different, but actually doing more than one thing at a time. I found I'm not very good at, it turns out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think anyone really is, but, but being able to know that you've got this thing on the back burner. And as long as it's not time sensitive, it'll get done on the times that are convenient for me to work. And sometimes that's not necessarily working hours. That's the truth. And if I'm writing a motion for summary judgment, and as long as I don't blow the deadline, it doesn't matter when it gets done. It's sort of the attitude I've taken. I've been very lucky to work with a lot of people, men and women who generally like subscribe to that idea. Not always my opposing counsel. (laughs) Let me ask you actually a question about time since you mentioned like being able to work at different hours, because I've always done that. And folks who know me know that I would often write at one o'clock in the morning because that was when I had time to myself. But with the introduction of Zoom, for all that it's terrific and for all that we don't have to commute and we've gotten some of our time back. There is a danger, I think, that work could become all comp- encompassing. And, and it reminded me of when the, we first started our law firm, our very first year, we worked out of our home. We only did it for one year <laughs> for a reason. And a lot of that reason was we had a, a dedicated space in the house and a dedicated phone line. And we would be eating dinner sometimes, my husband and I, and we'd hear the phone ring and we'd sort of like look at each other and we had this kind of like, I dare you don't answer that. You know, that whole like, I, you're, this is generally do not get up. But, you know, you also still felt like, oh my gosh, I'm losing business. I do think one of the dangers, like one of the things I'm a little worried about is that if we all get so used to being at home and working at all hours, then it'll never stop. Is that something that you're worried about or you've heard other people talk about or something you talk about in your group? It's so hard. We talk about it all the time. Mara and I talk about it because Mara tends to be like a late person and I'm like an early morning person. It's so hard because there's no need. Like you said, I'm not traveling, right? So I go to court. I go to court. I go to the next hearing. I go to a deposition. I am not physically leaving my desk and that can go into forever. Fortunately, I mean, having two kids at home really helps with that only because they're very disruptive. (laughs) <laughs> and then the other thing is I've, I've really forced myself and I, it's funny, I just, I, I feel like a broken record with these email timers, but I Mara introduced me to sending emails on scheduling with like the scheduling function. And I really started doing it only because it doesn't matter when I'm working. It's when I want the person to know when I'm working and when I want the person to receive the email. And that's just one example. You know, I really force myself um, on the weekends if I'm going to send work-related emails to use timers. Because I don't want people to feel like they have to respond to me because then I'm going to feel like I have to respond to them and round and round it goes. And forever, we're all going to be working until all hours. So I really try to, I know I try to be conscious of that. Something I picked up from Mara. And then also really trying to cut off the time or in in more other instances, time blocking. So like if I have to work at night, it's at this point, it's usually because I'm doing something else during the day that's probably not necessarily more fun. It could probably be some sort of parenting chore or some sort of other, like, but really trying to like be more efficient and how um, I use my time and be more conscious of it, especially because COVID there would be days where I'd be like, what did I do? The whole day is gone. And I really haven't gotten up from this desk. I don't know if you feel that too. Oh, I do. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a big danger of all the zooming that we're doing because of the pandemic. And I think that's why working moms are 90% Tired. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, it's exhausting. I mean, I see, look, the past few days I've witnessed my my daughter who's eight. Like Lisa said, she's she's home, school quarantined to class. So she's doing online school with her class. 
And I watch her on the computer for hours and hours and it, it drains her and she gets loopy and she can't focus. And, and I think that's what happens to us as well, but we're adults. So we, we try to hold it together, but you know, by five o'clock that, that 10th zoom that we're all doing, I don't know that it's that efficient. Right. I think, you know, I've, I've tried to be very conscious now as we're hopefully, you know, coming out of the pandemic a bit and starting to, to set habits for what post pandemic work will look like to really block off that time that I want to be protected. So whatever it is, whether, you know, for me, it's 3.30 to 5 when I'm getting in the carpool line and bringing the kids home and getting them settled. And I'm just very clear um, with clients and and other attorneys I'm working with. Most days, that's, that's not an available time for me to have a meeting. Even if I can bring my laptop with me in the car and I could Zoom from anywhere, anytime, Quite frankly, it's just off the table. It's not available. Marin hasn't told you about her car office that she has going on, but she has the best car office. Like she, she can like I've seen her run like Zoom meetings from her with her seatbelt on. Like I've never like nobody's business. Like I mean, parked. She's not driving and, and officing. But well, see, I'm terrible at that, so I'm a little envious because I remember actually I had a, a meeting that I had to take in a parking lot, and I rarely do that. But it was it was also um, it was a Zoom. And um, unfortunately for me, it was a um, it was a conversation about alternative energy sources. I mean, it was a great conversation, mm-hmm. but it was this person who was not from the U.S. and and we were chatting, and I was trying to downplay the notion that Americans are obsessed with their cars, and there I was <laughs> in my car. And I actually angled the the laptop because I thought, you know what, I live, so I live in Chester County, Pennsylvania. It's very beautiful. And I thought, you know what, I'll kind of angle the the laptop out so that he sees trees. And there was like a giant like F-150 right next to me. And I'm like, seriously? So I like flip it the other side and there's like a giant like, you know, Tahoe or something. I'm like, this is impossible. Right. So I don't have that kind of luck. My car meetings have not gone well. So I try to discourage them. Mara has a virtual background right. that she uses. Okay. Right. It's funny. I've been the opposite. I've started going into the office and I was remote. I, I went back from my leave of absence from my firm in February, 2020. So you can imagine that was like, I had taken about 18 months off and I came back and I was always at that time, there was like, there's no space for you. There's work for you, but there's no space for you. So you will be remote. And now there is physical space for me. And I actually, I was like, great. I don't want to go into an office. I've got to pick up a carpool and it's great. But I actually started going into the office two or three days a week for the networking piece, not, not for business development, but for, you know, seeing who's working on what, and who's, right. who's there and having conversations only because it's very isolating to be in my house all day, especially if I don't have Zooms, at least if I have a Zoom or someone, I mean, I felt badly a couple of times for the Starbucks woman because it was just, I was too chatty because I hadn't <laughs> talked to anybody. No, not enough Zooms, exactly. So I started going into the office and trying to schedule like a breakfast, a lunch, a coffee, a walk, just to you know, I have this net, we have this networking group where we're trying to be really deliberate about business development. And I found that I wasn't doing that because I was at home all day and that wasn't really achieving the goal, which for me is getting out, networking, meeting people, talking to people, reconnecting with people I already know, meeting people that I'm being introduced to. We do a lot of that on Zoom, especially for all before dinner, because that's how we've met most of our, I mean, I've in the pandemic, I've met two people in person who I've had an 18 month relationship with, and I've never seen their faces in person. I didn't, one of them was much shorter than I thought she was going to be. And the other was what I was expecting. <laughs> Is the goal to keep the all before dinner online or are you going to be doing live events or what is your long-term strategy for, for the networking group? Sure. So yes and yes. 
the goal is to keep it online and the goal is to get people together in person. So we, when we first developed the group, we tried to be very mindful about towing the line between in-person and virtual. We actually scheduled our monthly networking meetings even before the pandemic were always virtual. They were always video chats. All right. We called them video chat. Um, we, you know, Zoom wasn't even in our, in our lexicon all the way back then, <laughs> but we were very progressive with our networking video chat lunches. But, but the idea behind that was we, we wanted to develop a program where people were getting together regularly, but in a way that was convenient for working moms. So we figured if you could join a meeting virtually from your desk during lunchtime, you know, most people could take a break, eat at your desk, eat at your car, go run an errand, whatever it is. We found that at least for our members, many work, working moms were were best with that sort of midday, you know, one hour break time. And so we decided to do that virtually for the convenience of it, figuring that it would allow more members to get together if more people could just hop on the computer. But with that said, we also knew that in order for people to really know each other and trust each other enough to refer business to each other and know what each other does really deeply, you have to get together in person. So right. we do want to get back to that model. One of the I think, blessings of COVID for all before dinner um, is it sort of expanded our membership base. So yeah. as we had originally conceived of, you know, we're both here in Miami and South Florida. So we originally had conceived of a group that would be in South Florida. Maybe we'd have some members in Palm Beach, maybe some down in South Miami, which, you know, for those of you who don't know the lay of the land as much in Miami, you know, it's about a hundred miles apart and could potentially take you three hours to get from one to the other. So, you know, we, we knew that getting together in person wouldn't happen often, but that we would want it to happen periodically. So because of COVID, we were able to take members, we, we pushed our entire program online. Um, obviously we weren't doing anything in person. And so we had members join who were not in South Florida. We had people reach out saying, you know, I'm here in Virginia and there's not a group like this here. Can I join? And we sort of looked at each other and shrugged our shoulders and said, Sure. I mean, this, you know, this, this actually worked. And so that's what we've done with the group is we've sort of taken that idea of a hybrid of in-person and, and virtual, but instead of limiting it to South Florida, we now have, you know, a nationwide group with members in states all over the country. So our goal would be any location where a member's located, which right now we have members in five different cities around the country, that we would also have an in-person group in that location. And so members can get together in person in their local community, ideally once a year, the entire membership group will get together in a location, you know, somewhere in the country mm -hmm. for a retreat annually. But we think that you need both parts of the program really in order, in order for the program to work best for our members. I don't think we intended to take people out of the state, but you know, we have, we had, we met a couple of women who had jobs, who had professions where it didn't matter where their business came from, right? They're not like a local, like, like a hairdresser in Miami who needs clients in Miami. And so we started, the, the, we ended up with two women in Chicago, both of whom got business pretty quickly through the connections in the group and who asked us if we would build a group in Chicago. So we actually just launched in Chicago on Zoom in November. We had this plan. We were going there. We had a whole plan. But as you know, Chicago is not warm in the in November. <laughs> yes. And no one, and it's just right before vaccines were approved for kids and everyone's a mom. And they said, look, don't come. Don't come. We'll see right. you in May. Don't come. So, but we had about almost 20 people that came from in Chicago. And so we are building a local chapter there. And that will be our first, I say it's our first local chapter. Obviously we have a South Florida group where we are going to do actually next week, we're doing our first, we, we blocked off like a 90 minute window at a local coffee shop that has like a big outdoor space. And we're going to test that and see what it looks like. And that will serve as the template mm -hmm. for Chicago. 
and the Chicago women, you know, they said to us, you have this name, you have this brand, you have this ethos, like, can, can we, can you build us a group here? And, and we're doing that. So that'll be our first test run. And then hopefully we will go into the other cities, into Austin, into, we have members in Virginia, we have two in New York. Um, and then even within South Florida, we have like people in Palm Beach County who want their own group up there. And so ideally great chapters. We are being very thoughtful in how we grow though, because the service that we provide to working moms is the support, the introductions, the, oh, oh, Kelly, you need to meet so-and-so and just the constant introducing and creating those groups. And, and as we get bigger, we're very mindful of, of how we do that. Right. But it's been really exciting because as the world returns to normal, whatever that means, like, you know, we're still here and we're still growing and the interest has not died down. If anything, particularly lawyers, lawyers love us, I think, because they don't feel in their workplace, like they have anyone that, where they can be that honest, where they could be like, you know, I got peed on right before I went to court this morning, you know, somebody who could be that honest with, you're not going to say, turn to your, like a partner, or like a guy who's like 30 years older than you, whose kids are in college and tell him that. Right. And it's adversarial by nature. So I think you're always sort of in that zone, right? Well, you'll have to come back in uh, in a year and let us know how it's going. Absolutely. Absolutely. We love to. This is such a great conversation. Yeah, no, this was terrific. And I, and I agree. I don't think especially, and again, I, there's a lot of, I think accountants are kind of in the same boat. There's not a lot of support out there, especially right now. So I think this is terrific. If folks wanted to find you and you wanted to be found either on the web or on social media, where would you send them? So we are on Instagram and LinkedIn at All Before Dinner. Mara and I are, are, that's where we do most of our social and even our professional content, we tend to put there. I wouldn't say we're not great at social media because we're great at All Before Dinner social media, but personally that's, we're not as out there, but All Before Dinner, LinkedIn and Instagram. And a lot of our events are open. So if there are working moms who are just curious what it's about, they can come attend some of our virtual events and, um, just get a feel for the group. It's a lot of fun. Awesome. It's it's gotten past us now. It's just a great group of women. Oh, and our website, allbeforedinner.com. Thank you, Mara. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, I'm going to be sure to put the links to the website, your Instagram and your LinkedIn as well in the show notes so that people can easily find it. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Kelly. This was so much fun. I'd love to know what you thought of this episode. You can send an email with your feedback to podcast at taxgirl.com. And if you liked it, please share. You can find the audio of each episode at taxgirl.com. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't have to be. The number of words in the tax code is estimated to be 1 million, about the same length as the entire Harry Potter series. Add in IRS regs, rev rulings, and case law, and it can be a lot. We all need a little help to sort it out. Each week on the Tax Girl podcast, I talk to the best in the business. And these aren't crazy technical dives. They're interesting and easy to digest looks at topics that matter to you. It's all that you need to stay ahead on the most important tax issues. You can subscribe to the podcast for free on taxgirl.com because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't be.